Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, as always, that we ask you to download the app, the Veritas app, so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can follow us at two locations, primarily on social media, the Frontline TV on YouTube and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Like, subscribe, share, help us out, do all that fun stuff. Today, we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program a friend of the show, Claudia McAdam. And she's written a new book, A Miracle from Micah. And that is out from Ascension Press. Claudia, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, our friend. Thank you for having me. Glad to see you both and be with you today. Absolutely glad to have you. And many of you out there know Claudia, uh, just in case you're new and you, you're um, not familiar with Claudia. Claudia Cangilla, pronounced Cangilla, uh, is, um, is a Catholic award-winning author of books for kids and teens. She is an undergraduate. She has an undergraduate degree in English, is a graduate of Denver Catholic Biblical School, and obtained her master's degree in theology from the Augustine Institute in Denver. She's authored two dozen books, and her faith-based titles invite children to learn, love, and live the Catholic faith. Claudia and her husband live in Colorado, not far from their children and grandchildren. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rossinello, and we'll have a great conversation. Claudia, we always begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, as Joe said, the book is A Miracle for Micah. Uh, what attracted you to Micah's story, Claudia? Micah's story is one of reconciliation, and it's something really so appropriate for us to talk about here in this Lenten season. Um, we all need reconciliation. We need it all the time. And Micah is a child who doesn't really think he needs it. He He's kind of living his own life like many children and adults today. But he encounters the Lord. And through that encounter, his life is changed. And uh, the book. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say reconciliation is huge. I'll be honest with you. I think I always say it's the one two punch in our Catholic faith. I, I, there's many people that, that say who go to church and they'll say, I get nothing out of it. Maybe because they're cultural Catholics, they could be Spanish, they could be Filipino, they could be Polish, they could be Italian, they could be Irish. I've got nothing out of it. The, whenever I hear that, what I think immediately is, do you go to confession? Because the moment you go to confession and then you receive the Eucharist, we're in business. Now we're in business. The grace is flowing. And Sadly, the line to receive the Eucharist is long, but the line to the box 
is short. And I think that's something we have to work at as, as a Catholic faith and as a church. Um, what, what do you think about that? You know what? You're right. We need to be well prepared before we re receive the Eucharist. And I think too many people don't realize that they aren't well prepared. They don't realize that they're in a state of sin. And, and hopefully with good priests and good homilies and, and good catechesis, more and more people are coming to understand the necessity of being in a state of grace to receive the Eucharist and to live your life the way the Lord calls us to do. And that takes going to confession and to receiving that forgiveness and that mercy of our Lord imparted through absolution by the, the priest who stands in the presence of Christ. And, you know, I know it's not easy for a lot of people to go to confession. And I would suggest maybe that they talk to a priest outside of the confessional about what their fears are about going to confession. And maybe that way they, they would become more comfortable with the idea of doing that so that when, when they actually step inside that confessional box, they're, they're ready, they're prepared, and they're not afraid, but they realize that they are encountering the actual loving presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's funny is that um, recently I heard a homily and the priest was talking just about that. He was talking about the fear of going to confession because obviously this time of the year there's there's the the what the catechumens um at, at mass so they're, they're going to be i guess baptized on on easter and he was talking specifically to them but i think he was telling talking to everybody and he was like you know why do you fear going to confession you're not talking to me because you're talking to jesus you know i you know i'm giving i'm i'm providing the sacrament administering the sacrament but there is nothing to fear. And, and, you know, he was touching on that for a while because I think people do fear. They feel like, well, what's the priest going to say to me? Or 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 unfortunately, some people might think are, are hiding sins for a long time and they're ashamed to admit them. And, and you know, that's another issue. And we have to emphasize as Catholics to a broader audience. No, no, no. That confession is a place of healing. That's where you get that's where you get the healing from that thing that's been ailing you for God knows how long. Okay. Um, so I'm glad you guys brought that up. Uh, Claudia Cangilla McAdam is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing her new book, A Miracle for Micah. So, so Claudia, quickly, uh, it is a children's book. It is. This is a 32 page, fully illustrated kids book. And the storyline basically is that Micah lives in Capernaum, which was Jesus's headquarters. And this is, this story takes place at the time of Jesus. And he is sent to the market to buy food for the family. His mother gives him a coin to do that. But Micah has a different idea. He'd rather spend that money on himself because as we know, the, the in the center of sin is I. I am right in the middle of sin. So he would rather spend that on himself. And instead he decides he's going to check out the stash of drying fish on Peter's rooftop. And he climbs up there and he's going to steal Peter's fish. But while he's there, he witnesses a couple of Jesus's powerful, powerful healing miracles that doesn't dissuade him from stealing. He does steal the fish and Jesus catches him and confronts him with that and makes makes Micah really go through a an examination of conscience in a way. He asks Micah, he's like, what are you doing to me when you steal? You're taking from Peter. What are you doing to him? Your little brother, Joel, sees you stealing. How is that affecting him? And also, Micah, is this the kind of person you want to become? What is it doing to yourself? And when Micah thinks about all those things, he realizes, yes, he's wrong. He has sinned. And he apologizes and confesses. The Lord, in his beautiful 
loving mercy and forgiveness absolves Micah. Micah returns the fish. And the story goes on from there where Micah will become a part of a very special miracle himself. And we'll, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but just uh, let's stay on the on the book, the actual tangible book itself. Um, it's the story itself is told through illustrations. OK, um, so why a picture book and who did the uh, illustrations, Claudia? Right. Well, I wrote the, wrote the text and the illustrations were done by Gina Capaldi, an award winning illustrator. She illustrated my previous picture book with Ascension Press called The Real Presence, which is also set in Capernaum at the time of Jesus. And, and Gina has a wonderful story. She, like I was when we were 10 years old, each of us independently decided at that moment we knew what we wanted to do with our careers. I wanted to be a writer. She knew she wanted to be an illustrator, and she loved the illustrations of Norman Rockwell, who did all those beautiful covers of the Saturday Evening Post. And he, he was still living at that time. She wrote to him as a child and told him that she wanted to be an illustrator someday. He wrote back to her, and to this day, she keeps his letter tacked to her artboard as inspiration and encouragement for her for her craft. So I feel really blessed that that she has been able to do the illustrations for a miracle for Micah. They're beautiful, they're simple and touching and the emotion comes through them. A good illustrator will take the words that, that the writer has written, the words tell the story, but the illustrator tells the story as well. And a good illustrator, you can pick up a picture book and if that illustrator has done his or her job, you can just look at the pictures and get a good sense of what the story is. And she's done that. I'm really very honored to have her illustrating my last two books with Ascension Press. That's awesome. I, I do have to say, as an aside, when you mentioned that, you know, Jesus's headquarters was Capernaum. When I hear the word headquarters nowadays, I think the devil's headquarters are, are Davos. But I just 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 <laughs> throwing that out there because, you know, Jesus is like has has his headquarters at Capernaum. That's where he goes back and regroups and then gets back out there again. So um, it's I, I'm sorry. It's just it's something that I thought about when you said that. Um, so uh, Claudia uh, Cangelo McAdam is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Go out and buy her book, A Miracle for Michael. We'll say it a couple of times. Claudia, uh, Ascension Press is the publisher. Where can folks buy the book? They can buy it, buy it there, ascensionpress.com. You can search my last name, McAdam, or the title of the book, A Miracle for Micah, and it'll pop right up. And it, it can be purchased there. It can be purchased in Catholic bookstores and gift stores. If they don't actually carry it, ask for it because they can order it for you. And, you know, there's there's a number of Catholic online retailers that can get books of this nature for you as well. Excellent. Joe Racinello. Obviously, uh, Claudia, Micah is the central figure in the book, but you also mentioned his little brother, Joel. These are characters taken from the Old Testament. Give us a little background, like how they basically relate to the story versus their place in the Old Testament. Their names are names. These characters' names are names of two minor prophets from the Old Testament. And it, there wasn't a whole lot of connection, a cognizant connection between these characters and those prophets when I wrote the story. However, the prophets do relate to these two young boys. I mean, Micah was a prophet around the year 700, contemporary with Isaiah. And he his main message is calling the people back to repentance and you know, encouraging them to repent and align themselves with the Lord to avoid any subsequent punishment. So I thought that was really very fitting for this character of Micah. And Joel is also a minor prophet. He, um, you know, his the the 
Old Testament book of Joel is only three chapters, so it's very, very small. But again, his message too is return to God. And in in the book, Joel is disapproving of his older brother's actions, and he won't partake in stealing these fish. So he's kind of Micah's conscience in a way. But they those two names, I took those two names uh, primarily because I love to make my characters realistic to the time of Jesus with names from that time frame. Those would have been boys' names then, but they're also boys' names today. So I, my hope is that modern day kids can relate to those characters because their names are not something difficult to pronounce or a name they've never heard of before. They can kind of relate to it. And as a matter of fact, I was doing a book signing about 10 days ago and a mom came up to me with her son and she's like, guess what his name is? And I'm like, uh, is it Micah? And <laughs> she's like, yeah, yeah, it is. So that that's exciting for kids, I think, to, to be able to relate to the characters. Either they're, na they're named that or somebody else they know might have that name. Claudia, just a, a comment and then a follow-up. I, I mean, a prophet is just someone who speaks the truth. I think sometimes people who hear that, they think like it's almost like uh, a wizard looking into a crystal ball. Uh a prophet is someone who speaks the truth. And frankly, we're all supposed to be prophets. What do I mean by that? We're all supposed to speak the truth. That's what a Catholic does. And why does a Catholic sometimes see things that others don't? Well, if you're in a state of grace, you see the world as it is. You see it clearly. And when you speak the truth and you connect the dots, sometimes that leads to something that is going to happen in the future. We've seen that in our church with popes, with saints. They're basically predicting the future in a sense because they see it clearly. And I think people kind of like get lost in that. They say, you're a prophet. You could, you, you know, it's like looking into your crystal ball. No, but if you steal, you go to jail, <laughs> you know, or if you do X, Y happens. And that's a prophet. I just wanted to clarify that because I think people misunderstand that and we're all meant to be prophets but secondly i love in this book how you take these characters from the old testament and you kind of blend them with stories in the new testament because they witness things that jesus is doing talk about that what did they see when they were kind of peering in through saint peter's window uh, you know i love i i set this story in capernaum because one it's one of my favorite places in the holy land I had the great honor of, of going on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And I, I loved being in Capernaum because it's unlike some places, say in Jerusalem or Nazareth. I mean, sites that where we think Jesus was or where we know he was, they've been developed or built over and they don't really look like what they looked like then. But that's not the case in Capernaum. Capernaum is a ruined city that's not been built upon. And so when you go there, you can walk into the ruins of what was the synagogue where Jesus gave his bread of life discourse. So the, the first century stones that made up the foundation are still there. When that synagogue was destroyed, it was a church was built up there, but now that's in ruins too. But you can still see the, the first century uh, foundation stones. And I took off my sandals when I was there and, and stood on those stones because that's I thought that was very holy ground. This is where Jesus actually was and where he gave some of his most profound teachings and healings. And as you're standing there in the ruins of that synagogue and you turn and you face the Sea of Galilee, which you can see from there, there are the ruins of all the homes and the marketplaces that would have been in Capernaum. And at the far end of what you see is a church built over what was St. Peter's home. And 
when you walk into this church, Catholic church called St. Peter's, part of the floor is made of glass. And you can sit there in a pew and look down into what was St. Peter's home. And just to be sitting there thinking all the miracles that happened there. And for my character, Micah, this is where I situate him. He's on St. Peter's rooftop. He's there on one um, Sabbath morning when the men are at the synagogue. He thinks he's going to go check out this fish situation. And he doesn't think anybody should be in the house. But he hears this old lady coughing. And he digs a hole into the, the rooftop, you know, the thatch of the roof. And he peers down and he sees it's Peter's mother-in-law who is dying. And, oh, Jesus walks in with Peter and Andrew. And he heals Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. Any healing that's done on the Sabbath that we read about in the Gospels is done at the initiation of Jesus. It's not the people coming to Jesus to be healed. It is him initiating a healing, which I think just goes to prove us to us that he is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. So Michael witnesses that, and he's kind of blown away by what he's seen. And even though that doesn't keep him from wanting to steal fish, he comes back another time to steal fish, and it's when the four friends are bringing the paralytic to Jesus to heal, but they can't get into Peter's house because it's so crowded. So Micah says, well, I know how you can get there. Come up on the roof with me. And he leads them up to the rooftop thinking, well, when they're doing what they're going to do, it's a good time to, for him to steal fish because nobody will be paying attention to him. So that he watches them open Peter's roof, lower that paralytic, see Jesus, absolve that man of his sins, and then heal him physically. So again, he's blown away by the miracle he has witnessed there. Claudia McAdam, let me ask you this. Does, does Micah have a special significance for you personally? That This particular character or <laughs> the- Both. <laughs> well, this particular character, yes, and that Micah is all of us. We, we may witness the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus, of God the Father and the Holy Spirit, but we, we will still fall into sin. So we're, we're like Micah in that respect. The Old Testament prophet, which Joe, thank you for pointing out that that does not mean he's a, a future, you know, telling of the future. He's not a, a you know, uh, what I want to say, a, like a magician can see into the future. He's a prophet is someone who is wise and can tell what's going to happen because of people's actions. But when I did my master's thesis um, in theology, I used Micah as part of my resources because I was writing about the call of Nathaniel as written about in John chapter one and how Jesus tells him he saw him under the fig tree. And one of the verses from Micah was one of the ones I uh, cited in my paper. And that was that um, every man sit under his vine and under his fig tree at the, at the coming of the Messiah. So in, in a way, yes, he does have a special place in my heart. What's funny is that I'm glad you both mentioned that about prophets. The way I look at it is this. The, the, the prophet obviously, has Joe mentioned, and as you mentioned, has to have uh, his eyes open because the prophet sees clearly. Because, you know, again, how do we, how they would say, yeah, but the prophet's got a special relationship with God. Yeah, and through the sacraments, so do we, okay? So, you know, we, we, get, we have our eyes open. But the thing is, if you're looking at blind people rushing towards a cliff, you're the one who's able to, they're blind and they're moving towards a cliff. You're the one that's able to tell them, you're going to fall off the cliff. <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist. They have their eyes closed. You have your eyes open. And that's a choice, by the way, I believe, especially now in our current spiritual battle. You have to make a choice whether or not to have your eyes open. Jesus said to the lame man, 
would you be made well? That line has always struck me in my journey, Claudia. Would you be made well? Why would Jesus ask that? Because some people don't want their eyes open. And it's for us to maybe sometimes take that crowbar a little bit and 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 try to get their eyes open. Your comments on that, Claudia. You're right about us having our eyes open. And even sometimes when our eyes are open, we're afraid to speak the truth. I mean, we see that today in this woke culture. You know, we know what's right and wrong. We know what two genders there are. We know that marriage is between a man and a woman. But so many of us are afraid to actually say that. And being a prophet means, yeah, you got to you gotta take your lumps sometimes when you speak the truth. But that's what we're called to do, every one of us. I, I find, I'm just to stay on it for a second, I find there's two camps, okay? There's those who are blind, who probably have been blind since, the, and I mean, obviously, spiritually blind, since they were children, Okay. And in which case, Jesus says they're blind. So, you know, I'll forgive them of their sins. He looks at the Pharisees and says, your eyes are open. Therefore, yours remains. Now, why am I going with this? Because there's two kinds of people. There's those who need our help to have their eyes open because their eyes have always been closed. But then, you know, God help them. There are those about whom Jesus says, woe to him by whom sin comes to these little ones. Because they do know, Claudia, they do know what they're bringing to these little ones. And Jesus is not very pleasant. You know, when it comes to how he's going to deal with those people, the, I think the one group are those we have to talk to. You're writing, a, you've written numerous books for children so that their eyes will be open from the time they're children to the love of Jesus Christ and to to not be the ones that are moving towards that cliff, let's say, for argument's sake. Um, so with them, with those people, we have to obviously talk to them, help them to open their eyes, open their ears. And the others, well, we it's our job to fight against them. It's our job to combat their lies. Um, that they promote with the truth. I mean, the, the, I, I don't, I don't. For a Catholic layperson, I can't think of a, a, a better mission to be on to counteract the lies of the culture. Final comment on that, Claudia, and then we'll keep going. I think you're absolutely right. And in fact, in Micah's story, I had originally written that line about Jesus saying, um, "Woe to him who leads you know the people, children into sin. It's better that a millstone be fastened around his neck and." tossed into the sea that it was a little graphic i thought for for a kid's book but that the same sentiment exists is that yeah if you know you're bound to live and speak and do what you know is true right exactly if you're just joining us here claudia mcadam is joining us at the front line with joe and joe we're discussing her new book a miracle from micah buy it from the publisher ascension press you could buy it at other places certainly order it from your local catholic bookstore but either way let's support our catholic businesses joe resinello there was an aspect of the book claudia that that really touched me uh because i see it in my kids basically micah when he was looking into peter's house he couldn't keep his eyes off jesus um my middle child, Matteo, every night wants to see the mass on television. He actually, and this, I don't encourage, like, you know, obviously I want them to be into the faith. We pray the rosary, but I don't push, you know, like we go to mass. I don't force things upon them. He walks around the house with the broom thinking it's the cross. He he pretends like he's like consecrating the host, I swear. And he always wants to see the mass every night. And then the two little ones want to, too, because he wants to do it. And I watch my youngest daughter watch the mass and her face watching the mass sometimes is mesmerized. I swear it, it actually almost is. is it's, it's almost freaky, <laughs> to, to be honest with you, because she's one. 
Um, and that's what you're bringing out here. I think children recognize something there, and Micah clearly did. Uh, talk about that, because I think that's very relevant. I mean, I'm I'm watching it in real time with my son, who's five, who pretends like he's a priest in the house, um, and, and my daughter, who's one. I love those stories, and I have similar stories in my family. I have twin grandsons who are seven, and for the last year or so, they love to play mass. I mean, they set up a table with a cloth on it and a crucifix, and I have bought them um, you know, at, at the, the Goodwill store, vessels that they can use for uh, consecrating a make-believe host and wine and, and that type of thing. And they have um, vestments that pillowcases sewn together. They love celebrating the mass. They have a bell that they ring at the consecration. And one of them is the, one of them is the priest and the other one is the deacon when they play mass. And it's absolutely beautiful to watch them do that. And I, I credit their parents for uh, exposing them to, to the mass and to the sacraments. They have a, a priest friend. My, my son is the director of formation for FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Phenomenal and, organization. Yep, it is. And he does great work. He's been with them for a long time. He started out as a missionary along with his wife and my other daughter-in-law. So we're, we're big FOCUS fans. And they're, one of their chaplains, Father Doug Grandin, is a wonderful man who with my young grandsons will would do practice confessions. I mean, these kids aren't old enough to make their first confession, but he would sit with them and kind of take them through what a confession is like. And you talk about not being afraid to go to confession. Those two will not be at all. So yeah, you just, you know, you don't know how kids are interpreting the beauty of our faith. Um, another story, a different grandson, he was about five. We were watching their children while well, the parents were out one evening and the older siblings and this five-year-old and the baby and and uh the the dads my son said you know we'll pray a decade of the rosary before they go to bed if you'll do that and i said sure so we prayed a decade of the rosary and when we got to the end um the little one finn said grandma can we pray the salve regina in latin rather than english and his brother and sister were like no i'm praying in english and i said finn they can pray it in english you and I can pray it in Latin. He goes, and can we sing it? I said, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, you know, here's my five-year-old grandson singing the Salve Regina because he loves that. And we don't know how deep that faith goes. And I think our kids are closer to heaven than we are. I think they they have come from heaven so recently. Your one-year-old, Joe, she probably is remembering what, you know, what her experiences were before she was on this earth. And I think they feel very, very close to the Lord and the saints, and we we have to nourish that. I think that's one of the biggest things. Uh, yeah, we're going to go to a break in a minute. That's one of the biggest things I think about is that, you know, people think that kids don't get it. No, they get it much more than we do. Right. Much more than we do. Now, now we're struggling because we have the we unfortunately come up in a post nineteen sixties generation, uh, right? So basically, all of us were born in like either the sixties or very early. Joe, I think it was nineteen seventy. Our generation sucks. I, I, I don't. I don't mean to blanket everybody with that, okay? But our generation has been so one of the worst as far as anything involving spirituality is concerned. Certainly, the Catholic faith. We're we're shedding the the dirt from the 60s, 70s, 80s, all right, that we grew up with. And here we are trying to fight the fight. We have to protect the kids so they don't go through that. And guess what? They get that. If you instill this in the kids early on, 
They'll want Jesus through their whole lives. Let's go take let's take a quick break. Claudia Cangelo McAdam is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, we're discussing her new book, A Miracle for Micah. That's available at Ascension Press. Buy it from your local bookstore. Um, also a local Catholic bookstore. Let's support our Catholic businesses as, as, as uh, along with our Catholic authors. You're listening to us on uh, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. And if you like what Joe and I do, we have our social media, which is uh, The Frontline TV on YouTube, The Frontline TV on YouTube, and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter, at with Joe, Joe and Joe on Twitter. Stick around. We'll be right back with Claudia Angela McAdam. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinolo. We are way in the breach with uh, Claudia Cangelo McAdam, and she has written a new book, A Miracle from Micah, from Ascension Press, and that's what we're discussing here today on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Um, I just, only because I can't help myself, Claudia, we were talking about, like, you know, children. I think we got into a little bit, not too much, of, like, the culture war that's going on. But uh, my experience with, with my son, um, and you guys know, I have a foster son. Please say a prayer. Hopefully in the next six months, we finally finalize the adoption. Um, but this kid comes to us. I don't even know if he's baptized. I know he came from a place that was somewhat Christian. He's mesmerized, as Joe was just discussing, as you were alluding to. He's mesmerized um, when when they go to church. My wife on Saturdays, because I have to work, she, she'll go to uh, confession on Saturdays um, here in a, a local parish. It's a huge, beautiful parish. My son will go right, go sit. My wife sits in the back by the confessional. My my son goes and sits up by Jesus. He doesn't want to sit with her. He wants to go sit with Jesus and he loves my wife. Um, but, and he sits there. And one time I was, was with them and I'm looking at him. He's as, as Joe was mentioning, he's completely mesmerized. He's completely focused on Jesus. I never have to teach him that Jesus is in that Eucharist. He already knows it because Jesus speaks to the little ones. Much more than us. He speaks to all of us, but we have so much dirt on us that he's got to get get out of there first. But to the little ones, he's talking directly to them. It's our job to make sure that you know that that we continue to help them see Jesus. That that's such a beautiful story. That reminds me of another one. If you don't mind me sharing, please. Um, our, our oldest grandson, when he was about three, my husband and I were watching him. We didn't have any other grandchildren, and so we just had him. We were watching him while his parents were out to dinner or wherever. And we brought him with us to adoration and we walked in the adoration chapel. And I'm not kidding you. As soon as he was in the doors and I don't think he'd been in an adoration. Chapel. He probably had his parents probably took him, but he walked in the doors. He went down prostrate on the ground on his knees as in the, the posture of ordination. I mean, he was face down on the floor and I thought, Oh my goodness, this is nothing I told him to do. I wonder if he's ever done it before. He knew he recognized the presence of our Lord there in adoration and down he went. And what a beautiful testimony to us of his faith. And yes, we're all charged then with 
nourishing that and continuing that because it's there. That seed is there from the very beginning. And an author named Mary Jo Putney said that what children love in childhood stays with them for their whole life. And that's true, whether it's a book that they love or whether it's the love of the Lord, it'll stay with them, but we've got to make sure to nurture that. No, absolutely. I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but that's one of the biggest problems in, in our in our current situation in the world, particularly in America, is, is that what these children are learning when they're kids. See, the, the enemy knows what you just said also, Claudia, and, and, they, and, and he knows that through his minions, and yes, he has them, okay, um, they plant these seeds in the, in the heads of children, and the, and and you know, thank God for the sacraments, so that as you get older, because I was, you know, uh, this happened to me when I was a kid. I wasn't always practicing Catholic. I left the faith or, or didn't practice the faith for twenty years. All right, shame on me. All right, but the thing is, so Jesus will always work on you. But why do we have to let kids go get to that point where they got to go into the muck and the mud to be lifted out? We should be helping them, okay, um, and and not allowing. You know, these 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 evil seeds to be planted in their minds, which are going to carry on, you know, throughout their lives, um, which becomes much more difficult later on, even though the sacraments could do it. But then you have to convince the person to go back to the sacraments. And that's a whole other a whole other problem. So I'm glad you're writing children's books, Claudia. This way we can instill, you know, the beautiful images, the beautiful stories the you know, the true. Remember, it's the good, the true and the beautiful, because what they're being fed nowadays our lies. Joe Resinello. Claudia, we talked a little bit about it on the other side of the break, but I want to go into a little bit more depth how Micah was stealing the fish and Jesus catches him and he confronts him. He doesn't beat him over the head, but he does confront them. And why I bring that up is this. We all are human and we sometimes do things that are wrong. Sometimes we are living in a state that is not right with God. Um, it is the church's responsibility to address that. Jesus addresses the fact that Micah is stealing the fish. He doesn't club him over the head. He doesn't embarrass him, but he addresses it. I think well, we could talk a little bit about Micah, but then we could blow it out a little bit more. I think there's a false understanding that's particularly in our American church, whereby we're going to walk with somebody. I'll use an example. You're married you get divorced you get remarried you're going to church you don't have an annulment and you're receiving the eucharist that's not correct and we have to address that fact because you're not helping yourself and if i love you i want to help you so maybe we're going to talk privately the priest and you and we're going to say listen i'm glad you're here you are you're meant you're welcome here but we got to fix this because this is not right. That's not going on properly. And, and I'm using just that as an example in other ways. There's a false idea of accompaniment that somehow magically you're going to figure it out. Jesus didn't do that with Micah in your book. He stole something. That's a sin. He said, no, Micah, that's not right. We got to do things this way. Talk about the book and then we could have a broader discussion. Yeah, you're right. In, in A Miracle for Micah, when Jesus confronts Micah with the stolen fish, he says to him, first of all, what what would your brother say if he saw you stealing those? And Micah thinks, oh, I'm so smart. I, I did this on the sly where my brother didn't know because I left home before he was awake. But what he doesn't know is that oh, his brother actually followed him and he saw what happened. So that whole thing of relativism, you know, what I do only affects me. 
doesn't affect anybody else is really a bunch of baloney because everything we do affects somebody else and maybe a lot of somebody else's, even if we don't realize that. Um, so yeah, we're responsible for what we do and how, uh, what our actions say to other people. And then Jesus says, explains to him, not only have your actions hurt me, but they've hurt Peter because you're stealing something that doesn't belong to him. They, they're hurting your brother because what kind of example are you giving to him? And they're hurting yourself because you are causing a rift in our relationship. And our faith is, yeah, we have, do we have a lot of rules? Seems like it, but our faith is not about the rules. It's about the relationship and the rules are the way to best live that relationship. And when we break a commandment, what we're really doing is breaking ourselves. And that's what the Lord is there to tell Micah. And hopefully all of us is that when you sin, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting other people and you're hurting the Lord. So there's no good there at all. And I think I loved your example, Joe, of trying to, to lead people to a deeper relationship and more authentic relationship, a truthful relationship with God. I mean, love means willing the good of the other. It doesn't mean accepting bad behavior or things that we don't agree with. It means willing the good of the other and trying to lead the person that we love to the good. That You know, that's so true. And I'm glad you mentioned rules because rules are something that I think that they get, you know, that gets thrown around by a lot of the, uh, those on the other side of the culture war. Okay. About rules. Why do I have to listen to your rules? Why do I have to listen to your rules? Well, you have a bunch of rules too. You just don't like God's, but you love your rules. You'll put everybody else in handcuffs and tell them thou shall not do this and thou shall not do that. And I would argue to anybody, do you really believe that life is, if, if, is there any beauty in life without rules? There's no beauty without rules. It's chaos. Chaos is ugly. Chaos is, order is beautiful. Okay. Rules are beautiful to live within them. Why? Like you said, it's not about following the rule per se. It's about wanting to follow the rule understanding why you're following the rule. We know as Catholics, it's because it, it elevates your relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? But this idea that the rules are bad, it always comes from people who have much more rules than the Catholic Church. I always said that God has 10 commandments. These people have about a thousand, all right? And you don't, and you don't know which one to follow on any given day. Gods are real easy. The Father, Jesus compresses it and gives it, makes it even easier with two. OK, just to, you know, just summarizes the whole thing. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. There's the whole law, he says. All right. So it's real easy. But to reject the idea of living by rules, it's just so totally dishonest. It really is. What are your thoughts, Claudia? We can't live without rules. You know, I, I always think back to uh, my friend, Dr. Tim Gray, who was giving a, a talk once about um, this very subject. And he said oh, this is an experiment that he did when he was teaching high school. He said, I bought a new printer. And um, I complained to my class, I plugged this printer in, it won't work. I can't get anything to print. You know, I, it, it has this error message. And his students say, well, Dr. Gray, did, did you read the instructions? He's like, no, I read the instructions. I plug it in, it should just work. And they, they said, well, no, you have to, you know, you have to follow the rules to get it to work properly. And he's like, oh, I do. Okay. So that, that's just a little snippet of what our life is like. You know, we, ha we have to follow what the Lord sets out for us, if we want our life to work the way it's intended to, if we want to be happy, if we want to reach eternal life, that's 
That's our journey. That's our goal on this earth. And we have to do it by following the pathway that's been laid out for us. We, we can't try to fit. We can plug the printer in and press all sorts of buttons. But if we don't know how to get it to talk to the computer to print or to make a copy or whatever we need, it's not going to do it. No, that's right. And I'll, I will always uh, repeat what Joe Racinello always says. If you think not living in a way that's co contrary to what we're saying or what the church proposes or what Jesus teaches, well, number one, you should go look in the mirror. Number two, just look out your window. Go see how that's working out. Okay. In other words, this idea that there are no, there are no rules. Remember, the Logos from, from Greek, okay, when you look at the Greek definition of Logos, is about three pages long in a Greek dictionary. Okay. And one of the definitions of Logos is order. There is beauty in order. It's not oppressive, repressive. Um, it, 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 the, the, the beauty comes, you know, emanates from the order, whether it's an order for family, the order of your own life, okay? But when you're living in the modern world, disorder is now a virtue, something to, something to not only be accepted and tolerated, now it's to be promoted. And then you wonder why these same kids that are being lied to are killing themselves when, when they're 40 years old. OK, why their life expectancy, as we pointed out at the front line with Joe and Joe many times, Claudia. OK, the life expectancy is very, very low for a lot of these people who who have been lied to. OK, and then uh, become adults, because guess what? The Cadillac ain't that shiny, that that sales pitch that you got from the culture. OK, to tell you you're going to be all happy. Well, you drove it for a while and you found out it's just a jalopy. And now you're upset and now you're in despair. And that's why I'm glad you wrote this book, because you're telling people through Micah. OK, no, no, no. There's forgiveness. There's healing. There's real progress in your life. OK, and here's where it is. Jesus and his church, you know, and I think that's that's a great thing about what you're doing, Claudia, your comments. Thank you for pointing that out. And, you know, I keep thinking back to what you said about the devil and him having his minions. And, you know, we, we talk about people doing their own thing. And, and this is why, you know, now we have school shootings with people who are totally disordered in their thinking. And I can speak very, very personally to that. My niece was a student at Columbine High School when that horrible shooting took place. Thankfully, she survived. But I, I've seen the video of those two young men rampage in the library, killing people. They were possessed by the devil. I felt it that day. I still believe it to this day. And we've got to pray for our young people that the Lord implants in them a different way of life, a holy way of life. Absolutely, Claudia. Absolutely. Joe Rossinello. I want to, <clears throat> I want to bring up uh, another aspect of the book that touched me deeply. Um, basically, after the encounter with Jesus, Micah is moved. So he buys some bread and some fish and he gives it away. It was meant for his family, but he gives it away. Why do I bring that up? Um, because when we have an authentic encounter with the Lord, you are changed. You see, that is where, you, you know, the term personal relationship, like if you're not changed by God, you didn't meet him. And Michael was changed. I mean, and let's talk about that. Talk about, it, you know, the instance in the book, but also let's blow it out because when and confession is that type of encounter. It's an authentic encounter with God. It can change your life forever. A real encounter with God. Talk about the book and let's have a broader discussion. 
that's really a great point. I just read a, a devotional uh, reading this morning about, you know, you can you can pray and fast and do all sorts of things, you know, that you think you're doing to make yourself holy. And, and those are good things. But if you're not giving to others, if you're not sharing that life of Christ with others, you're falling short of the mark. And so Micah, when, when he has his uh, repentance and when he has money again to go buy food, he does what his mother says and he buys the food for their family and he takes it and he's walking up this big hillside where Jesus is teaching that's places covered with people and they have nothing to eat. And he offers what he has purchased for Jesus to do with whatever he wishes. And his little brother says, well, wait a minute, mama said to buy food for our family. What's she going to say? And Jesus says to Micah, she will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Micah has realized the value of giving out of his want, out of his own need to other people. And hopefully that's what reconciliation does. It brings us back into alignment with our Lord, with our faith. And it makes us not just want to hoard those blessings, but to give away what we have and, and give to others so that they can come to that same kind of relationship with the Lord. I want to talk about that a little bit because I do think when there's a saying, you know, Mother Teresa would say, for love to be real, it has to hurt. When we go into that space, you see, I think it's it's easy sometimes to give something that that is like uh, like the story in the gospel. You know, the one guy gives some money, has a lot of money, but the other woman gives only two coins, but it was all she had. That was painful. When we enter that space where we give something that actually hurts of us. We could do that with our time, with our family, by having children, a lot of children. Um, you know, that while that's a blessing, there's a cost to that, you know, uh, with your time, your money, or giving, like you said, like what Micah did it from his want. That's the space that Jesus enters. There's an encounter there. God works in that space for those who are willing to go into it. And I don't think enough people are that because they say, I don't know who Jesus is. We got to enter that space. And when we do, we find him like literally we have a powerful encounter. That's real. That's in real time now. Now, I'm not saying you give up your house because there's practical things you have to do. But I'm talking about giving where it hurts, something whereby, you know, you forego that you really wanted to do and you do that for God. I got news for you. You will get much more from that than what you gave. What do you guys think? The Lord cannot be outdone in generosity. So as generous as we think we might be, he's even more generous. So if we give our all, he's he's going to take care of us. And, you know, in times of trouble, I, I try to revert back to the perfect prayer, and that is thy will be done. So is this going to hurt for me to, to give, you know, time or money or physical goods to somebody else? Maybe, but Lord, I'm trying to follow your will. And I know that you are going to, you're going to, you've got me, you're going to cover me with whatever my needs are. And yeah, you know, it's, it's so hard for so many people to step out of themselves and out of their comfortable life. 
and to do things or give things for people who are so desperately in need. I know I could do a better job of that. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful to being called to do more. And I think if each of us examines our lives, we can we can find places where we could have done a better job. And hopefully, well, we you will. know, I'll just use an example as a Catholic married man. Um, my wife and I are open to life. Now, that's a you know, that could be scary to people like, you know, I mean, let's be honest, just the financial aspect of it. Um, I don't worry about about it. And I'm going to tell you why I say this to my wife all the time, because we're doing right by God. We're doing right. And he'll do right by you when and you don't have to worry about anything when you do right by God. Because he loves you and he wants you to do right by him and he'll then do right by you. I think when we rely on our own selves, that's when we fall short. And I think God, and there's a saint that says that he's one of the founders of my high school, Christian Brothers uh, Saint. He basically says, God will let you fail when you just try to do things on your own resources to move you towards trusting in his providence. And if you do things now, we don't, you know, we're, we're not perfect. We do it the best we can. But when we trust in God providentially, that means getting up, you got to go to work. He's not, you know, money's not going to fall from the sky. He's going to provide. He's going to provide. I don't worry about that. And again, that's getting out of the boat. People don't want to go there. Up, up, up. I'm not going up to, you know, like, no, God has tons of money. He'll take care of you. Don't worry. <laughs> you guys have experiences like that? Like, have you found that in your life? I, like, I, I I, don't worry. I really don't when it comes to that. Like, how are you going to send your kids to college? I don't know. How's that? But God How's will that? take care of it. Claudia, your thoughts. <laughs> you're right. I mean, sometimes you're like, I, I don't know where I'm going to go. I mean, I, I, I think about here's just a minor, minor thing in my life, but it happens over and over again. It's not to the grand scale of sending your kids to college, but you know, it, my husband and I were the only two in the household. So when I prepare a dinner, I usually don't make a big amount of anything, but so for example, it never fails that if I say, oh, you know what, I think I'll make a whole pan of lasagna or something like that. And I, I make a big dish and I think, well, I'll just have to divide it up into, you know, four different sections so we can have it over the course of a few weeks never fails where a family member doesn't stop by or a whole family doesn't stop by. And I say, why don't you stay for dinner? Because guess what? I've got enough for you. I mean, it's, it, those are just, that's just a very, very small thing, but I, I never fail to think, God, you were preparing me for this instance. You were allowing me to be generous with this when I didn't even know I was going to be. That's just a very, very small example. But if, if you keep your eyes open for those, you see them all the time in your life. Absolutely. Claudia McAdams joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy her book. Okay. Her new book is out from Ascension Press, A Miracle from Micah. You could also buy it from your local Catholic bookstore or order it from your local Catholic bookstore. Claudia, aside from what we are primarily can people see all of the books. Is there a website? Do you have a website? My website, ClaudiaMcAdam.com has all my books there and people can go and look at book trailers for each of my books. So if you'd like to know what Micah is about, you can just click on the, the link to the book trailer and watch 90 seconds of a video that gives you a little bit of insight into what, what that particular book is about. And I also offer free discussion and activities guides for all my books so that if someone 
has this book in their home or a teacher has it in school or a religious ed class is using it, they can access my free discussion and activities guides to use in conjunction with the books that I write. So I, I'm available for you know presentations online or, or in person, and I can be contacted through my website, claudiamcadam.com. And I urge people just to go and poke around there for a bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let me, um, let's stay on what it means to be Catholic for a second, why it's important. I, re I recently read um, an article in Crisis Magazine written by the editor, Eric Sammons. Um, and the question in the, the uh, in the title was, have have the new atheists won? Now, I'm not going to get into a long winded thing about the article itself, but here's the thing. Basically, he's saying two. Th there were three catalysts about 20 years ago. You had 9-11. You had the sex abuse crisis in the church and then enter these guys, the new atheists, convincing a whole generation that God doesn't exist. And you should be happy that God doesn't exist, pointing to these obviously evil things that happen. All right. <laughs> And Sammons goes through a number of things, and it's a great article. I encourage anybody to go and read it. But at the end, ultimately, what he really comes down to is who the heck is going to listen to us if we're not living an authentically Catholic life? If we're not living the alternative, okay? Now, no, we rail against priestly sex abuse just as much as anybody else. No, we're not out there flying planes in the buildings or killing anyone in the name of religion. Of course, that's evil, but not just talking about it, not just apologetics. That people look at our lives and 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 see what you two were describing. In other words, ordered families, big families, happiness, joy. Okay, um, and, and you know that 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 radiates. It radiates with people as an effect on them. Okay, and it seems to me that your book, Claudia, is part of that. In other words, and in, in the larger battle that we're fighting is to be able to form children to 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 desire that that kind of life, that beautiful life. All right, and yes, to convert others or revert others. All right, how many how many Catholics out there are now atheists? I know some of them. I love them to death, but they make a good point. They say the same thing that Sammons was saying. What this? These are the reasons they left the church, and primarily, a lot of it has to do with the way Catholics, in particular, live their lives which wasn't exactly Catholic. Claudia, I'd love your comments on that because if we're not living, Joe and I love what we do. We love what you do, okay? But if we're not living the Catholic life, guess what? What we're saying is falling on deaf ears because people can't see it manifested in our own lives. So you have the floor for the last couple of minutes, Claudia. Well, thank you for that. You're so right. You know, it's one thing to say, this is what we believe. It's another thing to do what we believe. And unfortunately, you know, I have a lot of wonderful friends and family members who have fallen away from the Catholic faith. And they may be very good Christians, but I keep thinking, you know what? You are missing out on the most important, most beautiful part of what you could have. And that is receiving Jesus, body and blood, soul and divinity into yourself when you go to communion, but you've thrown that aside. So I, I my prayer is that people look at the Catholic Church, as we've all said for a long time, it's it's not a, a mausoleum for, for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. It's a place where the people who are, who are there are flawed, myself included, but to the benefits far outweigh the negatives. And in terms of living your life, it, it can't just be a quiet, I go to mass every Sunday and, you know, and I'm, I'm done, I'm a good Catholic. It has to go beyond that. It has to be the way we interact with other people. And the reason I write the books that I write is because 
ch children are the future of the church. And I applaud Catholic publishers in, in recent years who have really expanded the market for books like these that address the youngest members of our, our church. Because you've got to get them when they're young. You've got to expose them to the beauty and the truth of the faith when they're young. And hopefully, too, that the parents and the grandparents and the teachers who are reading my books, maybe they find a nugget there that helps them in their faith journey, too. Absolutely. It's so funny. The people that criticize the church say, well, you just indoctrinate your kids. Right. The same way you indoctrinate yours. Okay. Don't, don't tell us we're the only ones with doctrines. We have true doctrine. You have false ones, but you indoctrinate your kids just as much. So don't blame us for trying to instill the good, the true, the beautiful in our kids. I want to make one final comment, Claudia. I noticed for those watching this on social media, you have the cross behind you. And I think this whole thing really comes down to, you know, Jesus achieved the greatest good in all of human history on Calvary, but he had to carry the cross to get there. In other words, you, you can't, nothing good is going to come without a little sacrifice or sometimes maybe even a lot of sacrifice. That's what we need to be teaching our kids. Not this immediate gratification, not the materialism of both the right and the left. That's all nonsense. That's all garbage. Claudia McAdam, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We encourage everyone to go out and buy out buy your book, A Miracle for Micah, available at Ascension Press. You know, Claudia, you're welcome here at the front line with Joe and Joe anytime. Thank you. God bless you both. I sure appreciate it. God bless you and have a wonderful Easter. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, the Veritas app, share it with your friends, and please follow Joe and I on social media, on YouTube, The Frontline TV, The Frontline TV, and on Twitter, at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. 